Good morning. Good morning, good morning, and happy Easter to everybody. And uh, welcome, a personal welcome to all the visitors. It is wonderful to have you. You know, whenever I welcome visitors, I always think, what about the members? We welcome you too. You're, you're, all, you're all welcome. We love you all, some more than others. No, that's not true. But it is, it is wonderful to see everyone. It really is. It's a wonderful to celebrate Easter together. I really believe that today, it wasn't the actual day, but we celebrate it today. It's the greatest day in human history. Uh, I really believe that, friends. I was, I was saying earlier, for those who were here at the beginning of the service, we read a little bit of the Easter story, and I was speaking to another theologian, and he said, you know, the birth of Christ, it doesn't really matter for people in the world. They don't think like this, but the birth of Christ is the greatest. I, friends, the Bible says, if he didn't rise again, we're still in our sins. It's the greatest, greatest, George just said to me, happy Easter, it's the greatest story ever told. It is. It, it just is. And no man could think up what you see here. It just is impossible. And so I'd love to speak a little bit on the resurrection, being Easter. I, I love to hear sermons on the resurrection when they're not on Easter, uh, because we always focus it on Easter, but it's the greatest story ever told. And uh, I love listening to the people of old, the A.W. Tozers and the A.W. Pink and, the, and all those guys about the resurrection. And it's such a powerful truth that transcends all denominations, it transcends all creeds, cultures, even pagan people have said that they don't know whose God is what, but they know that there's a God that doesn't die. It just transcends everything. So we're going to look at two very interesting points this morning. There's so many angles you could go to the resurrection, so I just followed what I feel God put in my heart. So the first one is, what is resurrection? And the second one is, how is this truth carried into a human heart? Because that's the point. And it doesn't come by debate, I can promise you that. It just doesn't come by debate or intellectual reasoning. But what is resurrection, friends? And I said this at the beginning of the service. Resurrection is not when a person is raised from the dead, like Lazarus or the widow's son. That's not resurrection. True resurrection is only happened to Christ because those people die again. He did not. And whether you believe this way or inclined this way, I have met and spoken to people that have been raised from the dead in Africa. Whether you believe it or not, that's true because I spoke to them. And I've met people that have prayed for people that were raised from the dead. They will die again. Jesus will not. That's resurrection. That's the real thing. In real resurrection, you can see on Jesus' body what killed him. But it had no effect on him. Just ponder that for a moment. He said, look to Thomas, look at my hands and look at my side. Put your hand on my side. You could see the mark of death on Christ, but it did not affect him at all. Just think about that. And you see that that actually happens in our actual life. I've said that. That's why you can, an old, my dad once said this, and it's just so true. He says, an old man can stand up and preach a sermon which is not as eloquent or not as beautiful as this, some young, wonderful preacher. But it has something in it because there's a death in that man or that woman. And whenever we go through hard times and tough times, it's like part of us dies. In that area, you will have resurrection power. 
because something has died inside of you and you bear in your body in a sense the mark of death you remember the pain you remember what happened you remember but in that area if you bring it to Christ you become strengthened you become alive in that area you have resurrection in that area of your life yeah that's resurrection so three quick points under the first point not to get lost but why what is resurrection? The necessity of resurrection. Well, there's many, but I'll just give you three. Jesus died and rose again so that many could follow. Let me explain. John 12, 24 to 26 says this, and I've got the NIV in this verse. I know I've always told them to put the New King James up, but I've, I've read it here. It says, very truly, Jesus speaking, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Friends, Christ cannot be a model for us if he did not die. Because a seed that does not break open and die does not produce many seeds. And Christ cannot be a model for us if he just did not. If he lived a great life, did all his miracles, everything that happened but didn't die, it doesn't help us. Because it did not bear many seeds. So we cannot look at him to follow him. We cannot look at him as our example, as our prototype, as our pioneer of, this, of our salvation, as Hebrews says. Unless he died and rose. I wrote here, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the way to the Father is open. If he did not raise again, I know the Bible says the veil was torn in two when he died. But if he did not rise again, the spirit is not poured out. We could not be empowered to find the Father. It just cannot happen. He had to rise. 1 Corinthians 15, for those who are going to follow in their Bibles, you can put one finger in 1 Corinthians 15 and one finger in, uh, in Hebrews 2. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to go back and forth, says this in verse 5 to 38, speaking about the resurrection. It says, but someone will say, now I'm in King James back. Someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one. Don't you love Paul's gentle graciousness? Foolish one. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow the whole body. In other words, you do not take the whole plant and stick it in the ground. Speaking about the body of a plant. You do not sow the body. You sow... Sorry, you do not sow the body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps some wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases to each its own body. In other words, you sow one seed, you get that. You sow another seed, you get that. The Bible says, it's interesting here in 1 Corinthians 15, if you go to verse 20, just back, it says, Now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, of those who have died in Christ. So Christ, as a seed, went into the ground, died to bring forth many seeds. As a first fruit, that was a crop term. When the first fruits would come up, they'd say, that's what the crop's going to look like. Christ, what happened to Christ, has happened to us. In the spirit. You have died with Christ, the Bible says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ liveth in me. And one day, what happened to his body will happen to yours. That's a fact. When you die and you go to heaven, we can dispute this another time. 
because there's some differences and we just don't have time. Friends, the Bible says in the Thessalonians that the dead in Christ will be raised first. But if they're already in heaven, it's talking about your body. You get your resurrection body. Like him. And they don't conform to natural law. It says he was, all the doors were shut and he appeared in the room. It says that about Jesus after he rose from the dead. Friends, it's an incredible thing. This is basic Christianity. This is why without the resurrection, people think, well, Jesus died so I can be free from sin so I can go to heaven. It's so much more than that. It's so much more. Go to Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2 says this. I'm going to read a little passage of Scripture here. Verse, uh, let's go to verse 8. It says, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. Now, Hebrews 2 is all about identification. Christ identifying with us as humans, coming as a man, coming down, uh, taking part in flesh and blood. It says, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. There is nothing that Christ does not have authority over. Nothing. However, it says, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. And that is the Christian life. We are perfected and being perfected. We are righteous, perfectly righteous, but being made righteous. Christ has had everything put under him, yet there are still things being put under him. We see Jesus, first time it's mentioned in the book, we see Jesus in the book of Hebrews, who was made a little lower than the angels that's just identifying with us for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone might taste death for everyone for you he tasted death for you so that you don't have to hello that's what that's a substitutionary sacrifice says for it was fitting for him for whom are all things everything belongs to him you know that and when we say things, we think stuff. Your children belong to him. It's all his. And by whom are all things he created. In beginning, in bringing many sons to glory. Right there, first fruits. He was the son. He went in. He died like a kernel of wheat. He came out. Why? So that many sons could come to glory. You see the picture? It says this, so that he could bring in many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation. You know that word captain is better translated pioneer. What does a pioneer do? It goes ahead. It blazes a path. It blazes a trail where no one's gone before. Jesus went where no one had gone before. He made a path back to the Father for us as a pioneer of our salvation. It made him perfect through suffering. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. Friends, that's an incredible verse. That we are all of one with Christ. Again, it's just saying that he identified with us. He came as a man, was tempted, but was sinless. But died, having become sin for us. Go to verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. In other words, again, identification. He became flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy him who has the power or who had the power of death, that is the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's talking about sin. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. 
Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make, and there's a fancy word, propitiation. And I've explained that the best way to explain this, I've had two paper plates. And the one was purely white and clean, the other one we scribbled all with stuff. That's like sin on a person. Jesus took our sin. He took it off us so that we could be clean, that we could be righteous and put it on him. And in conquering death and sin, we have two white plates. That's what he did. That's what he did. But unless he died and rose, we cannot follow. We cannot. The second one being, why, why the necessity of the resurrection? Jesus died and rose again to remove the bondage of sin. That's what it says there. They were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. All their life. Friends, I've always said this. Something God showed me many years ago. Sin comes with three things. Weight, wages, and wickedness. The weight of sin on a human soul is crushing because you cannot do anything about it. It's crushing. It's a crushing weight. It's something that you have no authority over outside of Christ. I don't know how people live without Jesus. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. It's a crushing weight. And it has wages. The wages are death. You are born, because of Adam, into death. That's a fact. You don't sin. You're not a sinner because you, people aren't born sin. They don't sin because they do bad things. They sin because they're sinners. They sin because they're born with it. My son is turning two this week. His favorite words are no, literally, me and mine. Those are his three favorite words. All our instruction has been the opposite. But there's something in him, me, mine, me, mine, me, mine. He's born with it. And it has wickedness attached to it. The wickedness of a person is simply expressing what's inside. You are born unto death. You have the penalty of death when you're born. That's a fact because of Adam. You're born with it. And the only way to escape sin is through death. And I'm not talking about when you die one day. That's why the resurrection is so important. You cannot escape but through death. That's what the Bible says. And when Christ died, you are in Christ. You identify, that's why baptism. You identify with his death, with his burial, and with his resurrection. And the Bible says when you're raised, you're raised a new creation, a new life. And you are buried in death, but you're raised unto life. That's why Jesus used the phrase born again. You have to be born a second time. Because the first time you're born, you're born unto death. The second time in the spirit, you're born unto life. And yes, you still one day die, but you live forever. And one day when he comes back, your body will come back too. Friends, this is resurrection. You cannot rid yourself of the weight of sin. It's an impossibility. You can try. That's why Christianity is not, is not, is not about moral conduct. It's not. That's a result of what's going on in the heart. It's a result. You cannot perform it. You cannot do it. You can try your utmost. You will fail until you go to Christ. Because he died for you. He tasted death for you so that when you're in him, you can die. So that sin, the Bible says it is, you're subject to it. Friends, that's a master term. You're born, you're subject to this controlling master called sin. You're a slave to it. You are born with an inclination towards self. Until you die, 
then you are raised to life. And when you're raised to life, you can live unto God. You cannot live unto Him without the resurrection, without dying with Him. In Hebrews 2, that's what it's talking about. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Can you flip back and forth? Yes, we can. Well done. Great. Amazing church. All right. Word says here in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's go to verse 12. If Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? These were Hebrews. These were, these were Corinthians. They were Greeks. But they were people that had been saved that said, well, there's no resurrection from the dead. But they were saved. He's writing to a Corinthian church. So he's saying, well, how can you say you're saved? How can you believe in Christ and say you don't believe in the resurrection? You cannot, it's impossible. It says, you say that there is no resurrection from the dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and so is your faith. And yes, we are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do rise, if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins, and then those who have, in other words, died, fallen asleep... Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And then I love this verse. If in, only, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most to be pitied. That's why the resurrection. Jesus could die for your, Jesus could forgive your sin. Hear me. He could fix you physically. He could bring healing. But if you lived on this earth forgiven and healed, in signs, wonders, and miracles, if that's who you are, but he didn't rise again, you are still in your sins. And you have the most to be pitied. Because you know what? When you go to the grave, it will hold you fast. But now Christ is risen from the dead. And has become, there's that verse, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by, one, by, the man, by man came death, that's Adam, that's what I'm saying. By man also came the resurrection of the dead. The first man being Adam, second one being Christ. Why else? Friends, Jesus died so that he could be, we could follow. Jesus died to deal with the bondage, the trapping of sin. To take the weight off your soul. To deal with the wages of sin, which is death. And to deal with the, the natural inclination. He changes. The Bible says when you're raised in Christ, you're raised a new creation. The Greek language there means a new species upon the earth. You know that? New. Not the old, fixed up and restored. Brand new. That's what salvation is. And then the third reason, very briefly, is that Jesus died to defeat death itself. The Bible says that. He defeated the power of the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. He had to win over death. He had to. I want you to think very briefly about the fact that one day... There will be a new heaven, the Bible says, and a new earth. Christians don't think about heaven as much as they used to. In the Bible, when they preached the gospel, they spoke of heaven. In their presentation of the gospel, they spoke of heaven. The Bible says there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We all have different 
new bodies. And we will rule and reign him forever. That's why in Sunday school they used to tell you, well, if Adam didn't sin, he'd still be walking around. Because sin brought death. And when death is dealt with and Christ comes back and the ultimate battle is won over death completely, the last enemy is death, it stands to reason we go back there. New earth like he had. No death like he had. Rulers like he was. It says, subdue the earth, he said to Adam. Hello? Rulers, kings and priests, the Bible says. It's not about us, it's about him. And when you get there, you realize, oh, it really wasn't about me. It's going to be a great, shocking revelation to many of us. Oh boy. All right. Now, practically, how is this truth carried into a human heart and believed on? Go to Acts chapter 2. Because that's great for Christians. Acts chapter 2. Friends, that's great for Christians. But what about a person who doesn't believe in the Bible? How does this truth that sounds too fantastic be carried into a human heart? Acts chapter 2. 2 verse 22. Now the Spirit has been poured out. They've been doing some crazy things. People have been asking questions. And Peter stands up and preaches a message. It's an incredible message, and we're going to read it. And I want you to see one simple thing. The focus on the sermon is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's his main point. Now, how many times if you had to go speak to the city or to go speak to people, what do you try to convince them of? You need Jesus for your sin. You need Jesus to be good. You need Jesus to be a good father, good husband. Friends, those are all true. What did they focus on in the early church? The resurrection of Christ. Verse 22, Acts 2.22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified. This is not the friendly Sunday sermon. You murdered the king. That's what he's telling them. And have put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that it should be held by it. For David says concerning him, now friends, here he's still speaking to Jewish people. They knew he was quoting Psalm 16. They knew David was the hero. And they knew that David was dead. So it's irrefutable for them, this was irrefutable evidence. For I foresaw, he quotes Psalm 16, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. This is what David said. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore... Being a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, in other words, David's actual lineage, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. That's why David, Jesus called the son of David. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, nor his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, which we are all witnesses of. Therefore, being exalted now to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out what you now see and hear. For instance, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, I read it earlier, is in the context of the resurrection. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore you go. 
That's the resurrection. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus was resurrected, that's what you see in here. That's why the stuff going on in Acts chapter 2. Then verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know that assuredly that, this, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. Peter preaches a sermon about Jesus. Can I just say, he didn't preach a sermon about the teachings of Jesus. Even about the miracle he mentioned, but it, it wasn't about the heroic example that Jesus left for us. It wasn't about these noble teachings. It was centered around Christ crucified and risen. That's what it was. I believe that in this life, every one of you, every person born on earth, will face two questions. One in this life, one in the next. First one, who is Jesus Christ? Who is he? You have to answer that question. You may have been raised in church all your life and never wrestled with that question. You just because your mom and dad told you. Who is he? Who is Jesus Christ? Every person I wrote has to deal with that. He was not a person of old that came back. They thought that in the Bible. You're Jeremiah, Elijah, one of the prophets. He's not a teacher of moral conduct. Who is he? That you will answer here. The second you will answer is what have you done with my son? That's your answer after you die. Every person will answer those two questions. We cannot escape it. You can try. You cannot escape it. Who is Jesus and what are we to do with him? Your life here will radically change based on the answer to that question. It will change. Practically, financially, family, health-wise, based on an answer to that question. The question is not about the Bible. Friends, they didn't have a Bible like we had. They had part of it, but they didn't have a Bible like It's not about the church. They didn't understand church. In this chapter, they didn't fully comprehend it. They just knew this, that their friend, their mentor, their teacher, lived a life that no one ever lived, did what no one ever did, did taught what no one ever taught, had power that no one else ever had, died, and came back to life. So that's what they preached. That's what they preached. And they're saying to these people, who is Jesus Christ? Everyone will have that on their conscience at some part of their life. I don't care who they are. And in the search for that answer, I believe we are begged to answer something. Not who did people say that Jesus was. Not who do I say that Jesus was. Who did Jesus say that Jesus was? Most people don't know. What did Jesus make claims of himself? I'm going to read you 7 or 8 real fast. Just read them. Jesus said he was immortal. He said that before Abraham was I am. Jesus said he was immortal and that he existed with God before time began. John 17. Jesus said that he never sinned. People say he didn't say that. Go read it. He said that. Jesus said, who of you have seen me sin? No one said anything. Jesus said that he claimed to be a king. Jesus claimed to be a king. And when asked about it, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus claimed, he said that he has the power to forgive sin. He said that. said that he was the only way to heaven. Friends, oh, that's offensive. He is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way. No other way but me. Only way to heaven. Only way back to the Father. Jesus said he was the giver of eternal life. Imagine saying that, friends. Just picture you. Think you're Jesus. Imagine I can give you eternal life. He's the only one who ever said that. 
Jesus said that he would rise again, and he did. And Jesus said that he would come back. No sane man can make those claims. And no other man ever did. Do you know that? Not Muhammad or Buddha or no one made those claims but Jesus. They made all these other claims, but nobody ever claimed any of those things. Only Jesus. And without this, we're fools. Friends, he had the power, Arocha, he had the power over nature because he was the God of nature. He had the power over all manner of sickness and disease. He had power over demons and the devil. No one ever dealt with evil like Jesus dealt with evil. And evil exists. Even when he, they sent soldiers to arrest Jesus. Hardened soldiers. They came back without him. And the Pharisees said, why, where's Jesus? They said, never a man spoke like this man. Such authority. Who is he, friends? I, don't, I mean, I don't not care, but I don't care if you've been in church all your life. Have you ever wrestled with that question? Not a textbook answer, oh, he's the son of God. Who is Jesus Christ? And what are we to do with him? How is it carried into a human heart? It says here, they were cut to the heart. That word there in the King James, it says their hearts were pricked. Who still has a King James, right? You know it's true. Their hearts were pricked. That whole thing is one word in the Greek. And it has an intensifying... Uh, I wrote it down here because I knew I wouldn't. has a qualifying and intensive prefix to it. Another time it was similarly used was when the spear went into Christ's side. And here it has this qualifying intensive in the original meaning that this truth, that Peter's words went further into the heart of this, these men than the spear went into Christ's side. It pierced their very conscience. It pierced their soul. Friends, we are not supposed to try and find proof of Christianity. We have to stop doing that because you will debate forever. We have to stop comparing the teachings of Jesus to other holy men and women and philosophers because unless they have answered that question, who is Jesus Christ, you will debate forever, ever and ever. And the Bible says, don't do don't, don't do endless talks of genealogies and Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it and him risen. That has its own power to pierce a conscience. And that is the only way it is carried into a human heart. It's the only way. Many books, we could fill this auditorium with the books that have been written about Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean that someone will believe in him. It's not a matter of debate. I wrote you the question of sincerity is not do Jesus' teachings compare because it is rather centered on his person. It's not even about reason, friends. Hear me out. It's not about reasoning it. If the gospel was meant to be worked out with the mind, if it was meant to be reasoned, then only lawyers or people of excellent mind and speech could be saved. What about the simple man? What about the man who has no education, who has no riches? Can he not be saved because he cannot work it out? The gospel is not for those who have learned to weigh evidence. That's how it's preached today. It is not. It is for all men. And it is simple. Jesus died. Jesus resurrected. And he lives. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's a fact. And only the Holy Spirit can carry that truth and pierce and literally impale a person's conscience. And it will remain there until they answer that question. Or until they die. Or until Jesus comes back. It will remain on the conscience of a human being. It will pierce them. And that's why they said, 
What are we to do? What are we to do? They were pierced. He said, repent. <laughs> Another not so popular word. Repent and be baptized. Why baptized? Identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. That's how you start, not how you end. Identify with what happened, what I've just told you. That's what you've got to do. Why, friends? Because if he is alive, which he is, if he is alive, we've got to do something about it. We have to. If people that don't know Jesus, your one job is to prove that. That Jesus Christ is alive. Because if they can understand or get revealed that he's alive, life cannot stay the same. How does he live on? Amen? Amen. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every person will answer that question. Who is Jesus? Who is he? I used to tell the youth when I used to lead the youth, go and find out who Jesus is. They said, well, we know. So I said, no, you don't. You don't. You think you know because you were told in church or your parents told you. Who is he to you? If I had to say to you guys, who is Jesus to you? Don't give me a scripture. Don't give me a textbook answer. How does he feel about things in your life? How does he feel about other people? What makes him feel this or feel that? Do you know? Do you know Jesus? Because he's personal. Friends, I'm not angry, obviously. I'm excited. I, every time I study the resurrection, it hits me right here because I think of those who do not know him. You know that you, can, you do not have to fear death if you're saved. Death holds no fear, the Bible says. None. But if you're not, you should be terrified at the concept. That's a fact. You should be. Because you're not under the mighty hand of God. If you are here this morning, you may have come with family. And you know what I'm about to ask. <laughs> You're like, yeah, here we go. Friends, I have to ask. I don't know if there is anyone here that doesn't know the Lord. Or that has never declared Him to be the Lord of their life. If there is a person here. And you want to do that. In front of all these people. I'm not here to make it easy for you because it's the most important decision you'll ever make. And if people sway you from that decision, personally, I don't think it's real. You're here this morning, and you wanna say, I need Christ. Could you come right down here, right here, right now? That'd be great. If there is anybody, I'll give it a moment. Because if he is alive, you have to do something about it. You have to.